0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Thank you team for leading us to worship and thank you to our readers for what you offered us as well. I have some bad news for you that is actually the literal good news or the gospel. Jesus didn't come. Jesus did not arrive just so you might have a personal relationship with him. Jesus didn't arrive to, just to personally save you. He didn't come to give you personal peace and well-being Those things certainly occur because of the work of Jesus in the world. And I don't want to dismiss that with my hot take, but reducing Jesus to a personal Savior is incredibly reductive to what Jesus and his arrival means, which is what we're anticipating in Advent. Making Jesus into our personal Savior is good news for the powerful because Jesus then sedates or calms down the angst of the lowly. If Jesus just came to give us personal peace then Jesus can become an opiate That soothes soothes the pain of the oppressed. And And if for the powerful, faith can be simply a way to control the oppressed's feelings, to calm them down, to keep them polite and nice to their oppressors, then religion becomes an important tool in maintaining the political and economic order how our faith was incorporated into this in other political economies of like the Roman Empire and of Europe and even in the United States suggests that Christianity was used as a tool of the powerful to maintain their order. And perhaps even having seen the disruption that radical faith could bring, the powerful tried to take it themselves and turn it into something else. In our Anabaptist tradition, we're in the Radical Reformation. So, Martin Luther, let's start, we'll start with Luther wanted to go back to the time of Augustine. Calvin wanted to go back to the time of you know, Luther wanted to go back to Aquinas, Calvin wanted to go back to Augustine. We're saying, let's go before Constantine, before imperial Christianity started, before Constantine was baptized and made Christianity the religion of the empire and the religion that maintained the empire. When these people, these imperial forces developed other tools to maintain that order that wasn't faith, then faith is discarded. A reason why faith is in decline in the U.S. and has been for some time in Europe is because Christianity served as a way to maintain a political order. Instead of being a tool to transform order, to uproot order, to change the world, to reorder the world. Jesus is not a pacifying savior. Jesus disrupts the order of the world and also how we are ordered. Jesus disrupts how the world is ordered and also how we are ordered. Jesus brings liberation, not acquiescence. The peace that Jesus brings disrupts the violence of the world. It doesn't make peace with that violence. Feel me? Jesus brings peace and that disrupts violence. It doesn't make friends with violence. The love that Jesus brings disrupts the hatred of the world. It does not love the hatred of the world. Big differences there in a way that you can use Jesus' love and peace to maintain the order, right? Or disrupt it. What's Jesus really doing? The arrival of Jesus during Christmas is a radical event. It's a radical political event that changes the Roman and Jewish orders. And Jesus' very birth threatens them. Jesus comes to liberate the lowly. He comes to call the powerful to repentance. And his arrival is good news for everyone because it fills up the empty and it empties the rich. Jesus doesn't bring a neutralizing peace to the world. He doesn't come to bridge divides. Jesus takes a side, my friends. Let's look at this political passage, okay, shall we? We're going to start with one of these works, right, Brian? So we had the, these are the shepherds. We'll get back to them. Let's look at, it was in Luke 2. We're going to look at how Luke frames it. Don't miss this, okay? Luke 2, 1 through 2 is an important framing for the chapter, okay? You can skip over the contextualization here to get to the familiar and the commercialized, by the way. You know, don't forget that the sign that you buy from Hobby Lobby A place I've never been to that says he is the reason for the season. You ever see this? You go to your aunt's house and she has a mug for you that says that. At least my aunt does. That's just as commercial as Frosty or Rudolph, okay? They're in the same kind of camp. Anyway, we can skip to that and get to the familiar part of the story. The shepherds and the angels and so on. But don't miss this framing, okay? Don't jump to this story. See what happens. Why is Luke framing it this way? Check it out. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. The setting. This is a setting, okay? A historical setting. But more importantly than a historical setting, it is a political setting. It's setting the context of the passage politically. Caesar Augustus is the quintessential imperial figure. And this political authority is framing this passage. And don't get lost in this, because for what it's worth, and Andrew could tell you this, this census isn't historical. It has no historicity. It, didn't, it probably didn't happen. Okay? But don't stress out too much about that. That's not the point. Because the point is not to tell history, but rather to frame the story. That's the point of it. It frames the narrative politically. This census brings people from all over the Roman world, the entire Roman world. It is demonstrating the power of Caesar over the entire region, the entire empire. Augustus has power over all of Rome. And so the passage begins by telling us that Augustus has power everywhere, and it sets Jesus up to disrupt that power. That's what's happening. That's why Luke is framing it this way. Luke is mocking the empire in this framing. We would say he is trolling the empire. How does this disruption occur? Last week we mentioned Jesus comes into the world as a baby. And that's a disruption of the political order because babies are overlooked. They're not saviors. We want them to be quiet. We want to keep them away. So he does it through a baby and then he does it through a woman. A lowly young woman who God favors. And he keeps going until the world turns upside down. And when the time to deliver the good news occurs, who receives it? Like Bryant was saying, the lowliest of of, of professions. The shepherds. The shepherds are hated in the ancient world. I'm going to go back to the shepherds are hated in the ancient world they're watching someone else's sheep they're not their sheep, they're watching someone else's sheep someone rich owns the sheep and then he hires these people to watch them, take care of them trying to keep track of someone else's property and they work in shifts they stay up all night but the angels appearance to them showcases the disruptive reversal of Jesus' arrival the political power brokers don't hear of Jesus' is coming first. But the lowliest of people in the loneliest of fields in that little town of Bethlehem. The shepherds are also hated in the ancient world, but in the Jewish tradition revered Throughout Israel's history, the shepherds are revered. They don't lose status here. Culturally, they're still low. But God has always been uplifting the lowly. Throughout time, right? That's it. The shepherds are always uplifted. This is a profession that's always connected to God. Moses is a shepherd. David is a shepherd. Amos is a shepherd. They're lowly in their position, but elevated throughout the story The shepherd symbolizes God's care for the most vulnerable. That's what shepherds do. They care about the marginalized and the weak. The defenseless. They need shepherds because predators will eat them. They're helpless animals. They need guardians. They need to be protected. The lowly need protection. They need power to protect them. Because there's a lot of people, a lot of interests that want to destroy them and the shepherd keeps them. That's, that's what I'm saying. When the peace of Jesus disrupts the violence of the world, the love of Jesus disrupts the hatred of the world, it doesn't bring the wolves to the shepherd, to the sheep to try to get them to get along. No, it keeps them away. I'm told those wolves are defanged and their appetites change. Pastors are named as pastors because of their shepherding quality, and so your cell leader is a shepherd in her own right. Pastors need to care for their own people. They need to care for the most marginalized, and too often pastors protect their power and protect their own interests. We've got to keep looking at who is vulnerable and protect them. That's the job. The beauty of this here is that this good shepherd, Jesus, that is arriving here is uplifting these lowly shepherds. These shepherds are found in lowly estate, just like Jesus is born in lowly estate. He meets them right where they are, connecting to them. We're going to lift you up too. These lowly people then are greeted by this heavenly host and they're terrified. Because when angels come in the Jewish tradition, generally bad things happen after the angel comes. It's not always liberating. It is frightening. God brought a messenger. What does God have to say to me? Is it judgment for disobedience, for betrayal, for rebellion, for seeking my own interests, for seeking a military power and economic power and political power? That's what angels brought to Israel throughout time. So they're terrified, but... They come not to bring fear, at least to these people. They bring bright, good news of great joy for all the people. Not for special people, not for elite people, but for all the people. What is the good news? That a new order is arriving. A new political order, a new religious order is arriving. And we know this because Jesus, this liberator, is granted three very political titles. To you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. There's redundancy there. We're telling you again and again and again so you don't miss it. This political order comes in a topsy-turvy way in the form of a baby lying in a manger. And the angels are thrilled about this. They finally get to say it. They know what it is and they burst into song. Glory to the newborn king. Listen to their words. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace among those he favors. This juxtaposition is crucial. God is given from the highest heaven. God above all. Supreme above all. Powerful above all. And then descends to earth. Condescends to earth. In the form of a human Yes, in the form of a baby, even lower in a small, insignificant town to small, insignificant people, the lowest. The highest comes and meets the lowest to lift them up. He offers favor to them as well. Who does God favor? Who does God favor? Let's go back to last week. We'll go back to the Magnificat. Song where Mary magnifies God after she hears of the news of, of delivering, of birthing this liberator into the world, her own liberator. Here's the quote from the opening of the song. Do I have it? I don't. Here it is. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked with favor on the lowliest of His servants. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace among those whom He favors. Who does He favor? He favors the lowly. That's the theme. That's the idea. That is who is favored. It is the lowliest who are favored, the lowliest who are elevated by God in the highest heaven. Jesus arrives then to flatten hills, to fill valleys. Jesus changes the whole world. The whole world is turning upside down. They go to Bethlehem to see the Savior. This thing has taken place which God has made known to them and they're honored to be among the first to know. What a beautiful acknowledgement of God's provision. Let us go now to Bethlehem and see that this thing has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. How special it is that they get to say this. That the Lord made this known to them. Jesus arrives in the world to undo all of the systems of death and oppression. And that is good news for everyone. Jesus doesn't come to merely be our personal savior, but much more than that. We follow Jesus to continue this work. His arrival signals a change and his disciples follow him to keep this new way of relating happening. That's what we're doing right now. We're continuing in that tradition in that way. We're turning the world upside down. Jesus' calls like this. If you join us now together, we can turn the tide. We're resisting the way of the world and forming something new. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about making something new it's about a political consequence make christmas political again make it consequential again make it mean something it doesn't fit into this political economy it can't fit into your conveniently into our lives it disrupts our lives it doesn't just save them and jesus tells us this those who want to save their life will lose it but those who lose them will save them right That's what what Jesus is doing. That's the disruption that Jesus is doing, changing everything. And pay attention to the people that are threatened by this because they will cry out. The ones that are in grief at the loss of their power. Telling us about their misfortune instead of celebrating the liberation of those they oppress. That's worthy of celebration. When we lose something... That wasn't ours to begin with. When we lose power or wealth or stature for the sake of the least of these, for the sake of the lowly, that is a cause for celebration. And you should celebrate like the angels do because the world is changing. Caesar, who rules above all of Rome, demonstrates, demonstrated by his senses here, is threatened by Jesus, and his empire will eventually kill him. So are the local and religious political rulers. They're threatened by Jesus too. And for good reason. Because if if you want to hold on to your power, Jesus will threaten it. Pay attention to us now. Who's threatened by our anti-racist work? those who call it mean or loveless, they are the ones who need to be emptied, who Jesus did not arrive to first. Jesus is going to, is not going to the rulers who keep the order the same. Jesus isn't interested in their power. He isn't interested in collecting it. He is doing something else. He goes to the lowly and puts them over the rulers. The world is turning upside down. The cosmic and political nature of the incarnation of Jesus is lost on us when we individualize the Christmas holiday and even the notion of Christian salvation if we make it just an individual thing. Jesus didn't come just to save you or to have a personal relationship with you. He came to set the captives free just like God did with Israel and Egypt He came to redeem the world. We get to participate in that now and we will, our, as we lose our lives we will, be, we will save them. As we make the last first and the first last, we're participating now in the incarnation of our Lord. We're being Jesus in the world now. And we're awaiting in this time right here for our Savior, for our Lord who is the Messiah to come back To liberate us again. We're waiting for this consequential event to occur. This event of salvation to be completed. To become more fully who we are. We can do it now and we await for it to come. Just like those shepherds did. Peace. Let's pray and do some talk back, shall we? Give us the courage, Lord, to follow you in the meaning of your birth and incarnation in the world. To posture ourselves as lowly as well so that we might collect your favor and receive your favor. Be with us through this painful process of letting go and of being filled with something else. Reassure us that you will fill us with better things than the things we let go of. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect dropdown at circleofhope.net.